When I get to heaven, if it matters to me at that point, and I don't know that it will because I'll know as I'm known, I'll just understand this all. I'm like, these are all the questions that I have. But don't think for one second that you should not trust God if he doesn't answer all your questions. Because walking by faith is not getting all the answers. Walking by faith is trusting that the person who knows the answers is good and kind and doesn't need to tell us everything. You probably have someone in your circle of friends who's really curious. They have to have the answers to everything. But when you're trying to understand the ways of an infinite God, Pastor Daniel will be teaching that there are things that just have to be accepted on faith because there's no way for you to know what they are. Maybe when you get to heaven, you'll find out the answers. But until then, learn to love and trust God in a deeper way. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Revelation, chapter 9, as he begins his message, The Little Book. So we're back today in the book of Revelation. Who's excited? Yes. One of the hardest things that I believe that challenges almost all of us today as it relates to walking with God is we are so used to getting everything that we want. We live in a culture, I remember growing up, all the advertisements, you can have it your way. And everybody likes that. I remember when I was in high school, I used to work at restaurants and they'd say, hey, just so you know, the customer's always right. You guys ever hear that? You know it's not like that anymore, right? You know, but we love it our way. We love it. I'm always right. My way is the right way or it's the highway for you. That's kind of how the world works. But the thing is, is that as it relates to who God is, one of the hardest pills that we have to swallow as contemporary people is God has not promised us that he's going to explain everything to us in the way that we want him to. And that's a tough pill, isn't it? I got these three great kids, and I love my kids. Some of them are adults now. It's just, I don't know how I got so old that I have adults who drive, and it's amazing to me. But my youngest, Annabelle, she is so fun. Annabelle, I like to say, Annabelle's good people. Annabelle wakes up in the morning, and she's ready to go. She's like, she's just jamming, you know? And so the other day, it's a school day, so Annabelle comes on down. And so Annabelle doesn't, like, walk down. Annabelle kind of, like, she, like, runs downstairs, you know what I mean? She's just all, like, ready to go. She's like, Dad, good morning, good morning. Well, she jumps in my arms, so cool. And then she's like, Dad, I think God wants me to have chocolate milk for breakfast. <laughs> Which I super respect it, you know what I mean? Like, I, like I, I get it. Like, I think God wants me to have chocolate milk for breakfast. So, like, I, so I get it. But then I said, oh, Annabelle, not today. And what's the next question? Why? 
Now, at that moment, I can give her some reasons. We're like, listen, Annabelle, you know, we do love your teacher and we're not going to send you in all hopped up on sugar. The last thing anybody needs is like fully energized Annabelle on sugar at eight o'clock in the morning. You know what I mean? We want her to keep her job and not be like, I quit. I'm out of here, you know? So I said, listen, you know, it's not the time. I'm really, you know, know, chocolate milk is not necessarily the most nutritious breakfast and you need to get some brain food in there because you're going to learn how to write and you're going to read. And so I gave her all of these reasons. And then she was like, but then after school, dad, you know what I mean? I'm like, there's a good chance we might hit that after school. Definitely. Because that's what we want. Tired you on sugar at home. Great. But you know how it goes like, like the why question led to a conversation. But anyone who's in here who's a parent knows that sometimes you actually can't answer the why questions for your kids. For all different really good reasons, like sometimes as parents, we just don't know why. I remember I grew up with a why, because I said so. That was like the end of the discussion, you know what I mean? Now, that's the old school. You're not really supposed to do it that way. And I think if you're a parent, if your kids ask you a question, you know the answer, you just say, listen, I don't know. That's a great question. We should do some research, and we'll figure that out. But there's other times as parents that the reason you can't answer your kids' questions is it is way above their age and stage of life. They can't necessarily comprehend some of the intricacies of what's going on there. It's actually unloving as parents to explain certain things to your kids, not because you don't believe in them, but because part of your job as a parent is to protect them, to protect their hearts, to make sure that what they are experiencing is appropriate with this age and stage of life that they're in. Now, I know people don't like that stuff, but that is just good parenting sometimes. And as it relates to some of the big questions about who God is and how God works, oftentimes God chooses not to explain to us why these things are the way they are. I was just talking to someone just in the last month, someone who gave their life to Jesus right here at Crossroads. And on the way out of church, like, you know, they're like, hey, I got a ton of questions. I'm like, so good. I'm trying to field those. And some of the questions were like, what do I do with the things that I don't understand? I'm like, that's a great question. I'm like, well, I like to tell people that I have a box in my heart of all the questions that I have for God that I don't understand. And there's a lot of questions in there. How many of you remember the Rolodex? Yeah, yeah. That was long before we had the contacts app on our phone. You know what I mean? I remember at home, they had a Rolodex, and there was so many cards in the Rolodex that literally was like, you needed like the overflow Rolodex. You know, it's like you open the Rolodex, everything falls out. That's what my box of questions for God is like. And I said, you know what? I have all these questions. And when I get to heaven... If it matters to me at that point, and I don't know that it will because I'll know as I'm known, I'll just understand this all. I'm like, these are all the questions that I have. But don't think for one second that you should not trust God if he doesn't answer all your questions. Because walking by faith is not getting all the answers. Walking by faith is trusting that the person who knows the answers is good and kind and doesn't need to tell us everything. Amen. Now, the reason I bring this up is because, of course, we're studying the book of Revelation. And if you've been traveling with us through the book of Revelation, one of the things that I've been saying the whole time, I'm going to say it again, is that I believe the big issue with the way we want to interpret the last book in the biblical canon, the book of Revelation, is that all of us crave certainty. We want to have all the answers. And because we crave certainty, pastors who love Jesus and they're well-meaning, they 
over-realize their interpretation to give you all the certainty so that you know exactly who you're supposed to love and who you're supposed to not like. And, you know, like I was just talking to someone and, and because of the book of Revelation, their parents never got credit cards because the credit card was the mark of the beast. That's what you call over-realized eschatology. It's like, no, it's like, no, 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 hold on. Like, that's not what it means. But we, because we crave certainty, oftentimes pastors are gonna give you stuff. It could be that, but they're just making it up. It's good art. It's good creative writing, but it's not biblical. And one of the struggles for those of you who are here who've studied the book of Revelation before is that I'm telling you, hey, you may have heard this, but I don't know that it means that for these reasons. Because I don't want to give you a false sense of security. I want to give you a biblical security. And the biblical security is not that the book of Revelation tells you all the details of everything that's ever going to happen, and that when you read your newspaper, oh, this is it. Because that can get a great crowd of people. But the thing is, is that if it's not truly biblical, what ends up happening is, is over time, people start to fall away. It's like, I thought this was this. I thought this was this. And so one of the things I keep telling you in the book of Revelation is the book of Revelation is a revelation of who? That's how the book begins. So any interpretation is not Jesus-centric, Christocentric, I believe is an error. It's not necessarily about the mark of the beast or the false prophet or the antichrist, although we're going to see all those folks. It's primarily about who is Jesus. And I believe that the key for all of us is to say, I'm going to walk by faith. And part of walking by faith means you don't have all the answers. And I don't want to give you a false sense of having all the answers because Jesus is the truth. And if it's a false sense of security, if Jesus is in the middle of that. And what I can tell you is as we study this, we're going to leave a lot of things open-ended. Does that make sense? We're going to say, listen, you can interpret it this way, this way, or this way. It could be any of these things. It could be none of these things. So with all this being said, you guys ready to jump in? You're excited? You brought your notepad, your journal, open up to Revelation chapter 10, the last book in your Bible, the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 10, we left off at Revelation 9, right after the fifth and sixth trumpet judgments. How many of you guys remember that? We talked about the demon scorpion locusts. Yeah, that was a good day, wasn't it? <laughs> now, I think what's interesting here is as you get into the judgments of the book of Revelation, you find the seal judgments, and then by the time you hit the seventh seal judgment, you hit the trumpet judgments, and then by the time you hit the seventh trumpet judgment, then you have what's called the bowl or the vile judgments. With some kind of structuring, when you get to the sixth seal, there's like a little parenthesis where you learn some other things, and then you get the seventh seal, which gets to the trumpets. Now, we just did through the sixth trumpet, and guess what happens at the end of the sixth trumpet? There's another parenthesis before you get to the seventh trumpet, which starts the next succession of judgments. So it's interesting how there is some, you know, it seems random, but there's a lot of structure within the way the Spirit inspired this. So really, Revelation 10 and then into Revelation 11, it's kind of this little parenthesis where it's like a little aside to give us some more details. And it, this is kind of a, kind of a, I think, a cool place to be able to kind of pick up in our series. So jumping on in, it says this, Revelation 10, verse 1, says, I... I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven clothed with a cloud and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land 
and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars, and when he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. Okay, so... First, let me give you the principle that we're going to kind of pull out of this, and then we'll kind of unpack what we're seeing here. Really, what we learn here is that God keeps some things secret. Because when he hears the seven thunders, he wants to write down what they're saying, and he says, oh, no, don't write it down. Seal that up. So you get this idea that sometimes God keeps certain things secret. And it's, now you get why I did the intro the way I did it. There's certain things that God isn't going to explain to us. But you imagine here, John is seeing, and John's vantage point is unique here because he can see this angel who comes down who puts one foot on the land and one foot on the sea. And you have this idea that John has this unique vantage point for what he's seeing. So there's this angel that comes on down. He's coming down from heaven. He's clothed in a cloud with a rainbow on his head. And his face was like the sun. So his face was radiant and white with light. And his feet are like pillars of fire. And he has a little book and it's an open book. He's got this scroll and he has one foot on the land. He has one foot on the sea. And then he cries out with a loud voice and his voice is as loud as when a lion roars. So remember we talked about the symbolic interpretation of the book of Revelation. We can get lost in all the symbolism of the rainbow and the light face and the feet of fire. I mean, there's all biblical references to all of this stuff. And that's why we can study the book of Revelation for the rest of our lives and we can dial all these things down. If you're a Bible nerd, I like to tell people, if you're going to be a nerd, I mean, listen, you should all want to be nerds. That means you're smart. That used to be a pejorative term. Now it's a popular term. So be a nerd. And if you're going to be a nerd, make sure you're also a Bible nerd with whatever else you nerd out on. So be a nerd in your craft, in your field, and be a Bible nerd. So I would love for you to go race all these things down because there's all sorts of imagery from all the prophets, all through the Bible. It's all there for you. But I don't really think that that's the point. John's just explaining. He's seeing this angel. And this angel opens her mouth, it's like a lion's roar. And then when that happens, the cry of the angel, then all of a sudden there's seven thunders that utter their voices. So, so now you have the idea of when thunder, a thunder crash or that, or that sound, now it's actually being personified is that they're speaking and John hears what they're saying and he goes to write it all down and then he hears this voice from heaven that says, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. Now, that's why I say that God keeps some things secret because really in all the revealing that's happening in the book of Revelation, this is the first time God's like, no, no, I don't want anyone to know what just got said. Now that's challenging to us because how many of you are like, I want to know what they said? I know some of you can go home and I don't blame you. Like, Lord, Lord, you know what those seven thunders class. You know what they said? I want you to tell me. Because we don't like feeling like we're not in the know, but sometimes God keeps certain things from us. And that's just part of the journey. Part of the journey of life is when you say, God, why did that happen? Sometimes God doesn't tell you. And for a lot of us, because we're so used to getting what we want, God's desire for whatever reason to not answer those questions drive people away from the Lord. But really, we have to remember that God is all-knowing and we are not. 
God is infinite and we are not. And God knows why he withholds certain information from us as much as we may want it. Listen to Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of his law. I love that. All of the wisdom is the Lord's. And the things that God chooses to reveal to us belong to us and to the legacy of our children that we may do all the words of his law. Now, this teaches us something so important. When God doesn't give you the answer to your question, your job is not to lament what you don't know. Your job is to activate what you do know. If he chooses not to reveal why, the purposes of it, why it's like that, our job is to take what he has revealed to us and that we may do all the words of his law. See, the key for us, and it's an old saying, when you're stuck, don't worry about what you don't know. Focus on what you do know. And what I have learned is that every time something goes on that makes no sense to me, and listen, that's a lot of the time. I fancy myself as a decently intelligent person, but then I live with myself and I'm like, the number of things I don't get are extraordinary. So when things happen and it's bewildering, I can either get frustrated, throw like a little temper tantrum, spiritually speaking, and oh God, why don't you tell me what's happening? And if you were a good God, you would do this and you try and manipulate God. And like God, he knows all of that garbage. He knows what's in all of us. So like, you're not gonna work, you're not gonna reverse psychologize God. You know what I mean? Like, we get like that. We're like, oh, Lord, you know, this is what I'm going to do. And, and the Lord's just like, oh, oh, you know? And doesn't let me tell you when that happens. But what I'm constantly coming back to is that God doesn't tell me to only trust him when I understand. He asks me to trust him when I don't understand. He called Abram. And he said, Abram, I want you to leave your father and mother, and I want, you to, I want you to get out of here. And I'll show you where we're going. If Abram was one of us, he'd be like, well, I'm not going until you show me what to put in my GPS. I'm definitely not walking. No way. I ain't going anywhere, right? But the thing is, is when God invites you to walk by faith, what's the problem with walking by faith? You gotta walk by faith. And walking by faith means you don't have all the information. It doesn't make a lot of sense. You know the height of arrogance, and I say this all the time, so I'm just confessing. I always say confession is good for the soul, it's bad for the reputation. How many times I'd say, if I was God, I wouldn't have done it that way. Now, the only thing that gives me any solace is you all do the same thing. It's like, he's like, if I'm God, it's not going that way, which shows the arrogance of our hearts because we're not God. I mean, like our vision of what is happening, our ability to sustain anything is so small. So the key for us is when we don't understand, when God is choosing to withhold just the way, for whatever reason, the Lord's design was for us to never know what these seven thunders uttered. John wanted to write it down. He heard it, but it wasn't. It was only for John. It wasn't for us. Our job is to say, God, even though I don't know what the seven thunders uttered, I trust you. God, even though you're choosing to withhold from me that revelation, God, I can walk forward trusting you. And I believe that for many of you right now, this is essential to your fruitfulness as a believer. Because for so many of us, we're stuck about something we don't know. 
And Satan is taking that thing that we don't know that he knows is bugging us and he's amplifying in our hearts. He's saying, oh yeah, that's why you can't believe in God because God didn't tell you and you prayed and God didn't act that way and all these things. And it's one of the ways the enemy grabs hold of a believer and shipwrecks our faith because what he does is he says, because God didn't tell you, obviously God isn't real or God doesn't love you. And I'm here to tell you, a loving God doesn't need to tell us everything. Because we can trust that he's a loving God. We can trust that for some, maybe God is more glorified in us choosing to trust him than for him telling us all the details so that we can walk forward with certainty. So my friend, do not allow what God chooses to keep secret to keep you from following after the God who created and sustains us. And I think that it's one of the ways the enemy works overtime. And especially in this generation, because we're so used to it, we want, I mean, listen, you go on your phone, you go on your computer, you borrow your friend's computer, you can find so much information about so many things. It's truly extraordinary, the day and age in which we live in. I remember back in the day when I wanted to know something, I had to go to a library, there's this thing called the Dewey Decimal System. I would live with the reference librarian, literally like, hey, I can't find these books. Well, don't you know the Dewey Decimal System? Like, does anybody understand the Dewey Decimal System? And you say it to a librarian, they get mad at you. Like, what do you mean? Everyone knows to do it. I don't understand this thing. Just how, I just need to find out who Voltaire was. I mean, who was Voltaire? Now, you just go up, you type Voltaire. Even if you spell it wrong, it still comes up. <laughs> Everything you never wanted to know about Voltaire. You know, like, like at any point, anything that pops in my head, I'm like, ooh, that's so fascinating. And I just I Google it. You know what I mean? Then before you know it, I have all this information. And so we're so used to having access to the information we think we need. But our God does not always tell us. He keeps certain things secret. And a great example of this, of course, is the book of Job. Or if some of you think it's the book of Job, it's actually Job, but it's spelled the same way. So Job is a guy's name. If you know the story, of course, Job loved the Lord. He loved his family. He was successful. But there's a showdown going on in heaven between the angels and Satan. And really, God's boasting about Job. And Satan's like, well, yeah, I mean, like, Job honors you because you bless him. And if you curse him. Now, people argue, is it a real happening? Is it a story? Is it an allegory? That's a different discussion for another day. We're studying Revelation. We have enough problems. But really what goes on is that Job loses everything. Like he loses his health. He loses his family, all of his resources. Ultimately, it seems like he loses his wife. Job's wife gets a bad rap because she was grieving too. She lost her house and her family. And so she's just told Job, like, you should just curse God and die. And oftentimes pastors give Job's wife a raw deal. I think, you know, she, she was hurting too. And when we're hurting, we're often not our best selves. We often don't dial it all in when we're in pain. But ultimately what goes on is Job's friends show up and they're cool in the beginning. They're just hanging with Job, not saying anything. They're just taking up space and being there for him. But then Job's friends start talking and they start accusing him. And literally you have like 30 chapters of the round robin discussion with Job's friends And then ultimately God shows up and God doesn't answer one of Job's questions. Not one. He literally says, well, Job, where were you when I created everything? And then God goes through the whole litany of all that he created. And in the end of the day, he doesn't answer one of Job's questions. And like, you ask yourself, why is that in the Bible? Well, because what it teaches us is that God is not obligated to answer our questions. Jesus is Do you have any idea what the seven thundering said? No, of course not. God didn't want you to know. 
And as Pastor Daniel reminded you, if God had wanted you to know, he would have put it in the scriptures. But instead of focusing on the things you don't know about God, you've been encouraged today to pay greater attention to what God has told you about himself. That's enough of those things to study for the rest of your life. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I realize that there are many of you, you're not a born again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I wanna begin to follow Jesus. I wanna help you do that right now. We're gonna pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400, S-A-V-E-D to 51400. And my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Join us again here on Jesus is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel continues his teaching, The Little Book. You'll be encouraged to become a Bible nerd, and you'll learn more about what the voices said that the Apostle John heard. Pastor Daniel is going to be urging you to take a hard look at your relationship with God and really ask yourself how much you trust God. And you're going to be reminded of the many ways that God loves you. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series, A Year of Revelation. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.